Back in February of 2012, I sat in via Skype at Snap Judgment, a character-driven show of first-person narrative with intense sound design, on what they called simply a meeting. I didn't know what I was in for. I was teaching that day, so I logged in from the library conference room at the School of Visual Arts in New York. And I sat quietly in that room for over two hours as the SNAP staff methodically tore apart story after story and then suggested new ways to put them back together. And when I say tore apart, what I mean is that they, a group of about eight people, listened intently to each story and then tested it from every possible angle, looking for unclear transitions or missing information, clunky narration, boring bits. I had never seen anything like it. It was serious, fast, harsh, and smart. I felt the vibrations of swords clashing over 3,000 miles and a terrible Wi-Fi connection. But I hear it on the radio all the time, and I hate it. This is, this I is, like it. This, this is what I think would save it. After two hours, they still weren't done. But I had to get to class, and so I reluctantly logged off as the sparring continued. And as I turned out the lights in the conference room, I knew that I had seen something remarkable. That's what radio people call an edit, which does not really capture the essence of what it's like to put your work out there like that, to subject your story to cold scrutiny. Later, I talked to Glenn Washington, the host of Snap Judgment, about it. This is still your baby. This is, this is right here. Here's my baby. Oh, we think your baby's ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I think that just about sums it up. I'm Jessica Abel, and this is Out on the Wire, Episode 8. Your baby's ugly. Today, we're talking about the agony and the ecstasy of the edit. Plus, we've got an interview with Rob Rosenthal, lead teacher of the Transom Story Workshop and host of the podcast House Sound. And then one day in the middle of things, a lot of people will become very much interested in you and your baby. To you and your baby, we dedicate this film. I had sat in on edits before, but never one like this. My documentary comic, Out on the Wire, The Storytelling Secrets of the New Masters of Radio, springs out of a much shorter book I did with Ira Glass over 15 years ago called Radio, an Illustrated Guide, where I followed the production of an episode of This American Life from beginning to end. I don't actually remember much about edits from my time all those years ago observing at This American Life, but I do know Ira and crew did an edit in front of me. I mean, they must have, because I drew all of three whole panels about it on page 17. I asked Ira about it later. And and when I was there with you, like, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't like a... Oh, it's really a thing. That's where the show gets made. It's much more time-consuming than, than even being in the field. It's like, you know, we'll do edit after edit after edit, and we'll spend all afternoon on one, you know, 20-minute story and rewrite every little part of it, and all of us on Google Docs, like, typing in changes into the doc, into the script. It's the biggest part of making the show. I look back on those three panels now, and it's crazy, because now I recognize that critique and editorial collaboration are the magic pixie dust that allows their stories, and my stories, to exist. It's what makes our stories as good as they are. Like, that, that's why the show's okay. That's why it's good. So you've made it out of the dark forest. You've finished something. Congratulations. But if you think you're completely out of the woods, you've got another thing coming. 
It's time to subject that adorable tender baby story to the rigors of critique. I mean, you want it to grow up big and strong, don't you? Don't you? It's not easy to face this stage. It can feel like a real step backwards. Let's get real. Edits? Critiques? They look like a mess. You've got a bunch of people sitting around going, mm, I think you need to cut that part. I don't understand this character. Why is this important? I think the order's completely wrong. Why don't you start with this part at the beginning? And the worst? Mm, uh, I don't know. There's something wrong here. Critiquers are pulling the piece apart. They're undoing all the great work you've done. They just don't get it. And you're sitting there trying to take it all in with a big fake smile on your face and feeling like the piece will never get there. Ever. So what's all this magic stuff? What's magic about the exquisitely uncomfortable process of subjecting yourself to critique? Let me ask you something. When you listened to episode 7, Dark Forest, our last episode, what did it feel like to you? Did you have a sense that you were on a ride with us? That we journeyed into that dark forest and out of it together? Did you feel along with us the pain of the experience? And then maybe feel a little bit less alone with your own creative crises? Did you also walk away with an idea of how you can better get through that experience next time it happens? If you felt anything subtly different about that episode, if the message was clearer or more emotional than in other episodes, that's the almost unseen magic of the edit. Because Ben and I decided we needed to run ourselves through the gauntlet of a serious pro edit on an episode of Out on the Wire, both as a way to improve ourselves, but also so we could talk frankly about how this whole process works. From experience. We had already done a finished mix of episode 7. We could have aired the episode as is. Any other episode, we would have. In fact, every other episode, that's exactly what we did. But this time, we sent it to some pros to find out what they had to say. My name is Robert Smith. I'm the editor of Planet Money. Hi, I'm Jess Jang. I'm a producer at Planet Money. And boy, did they have things to say. Robert and Jess did like the overall tone and feeling of the show, but very quickly, they got right to the heart of it. For example, they had some problems with the pacing. You start this essentially four or five times. You do a long explanation of this is what the podcast is, and then you do sort of another explanation of this is what the podcast is, and then you do an explanation of this is what we're going to do, um, and then you do again what the podcast is about, and then you say episode seven. I really felt like the Jad Abermod tape of um, the German forest, the Wagner. That's the part where I was like, oh, this is something I can hang my hat on. Like, I will remember this moment. The false starts were over, and this was this was going to be the beginning. But you don't hear Wagner till like, seven minutes in. Seven minutes in? Jesus. I'm thinking, man, I've been wasting, like, seven minutes plus of people's time every single episode? Anyway, don't I need to tell you who I am and what this show is about? You don't have to do as much business as you do because... It's a podcast. People can look down. They can see your name, see the title. Episode 7, that's all there. Right. God, I'm an idiot. And then... What exactly is the point or the structure of the whole piece? Because I I got a couple of feelings. I had one idea that it was kind of a survey of all these great producers and reporters and how just them talking about the dark forest 
Or is it a show that's supposed to tell you how to get out of the dark forest? Because if it's that, then you need the problem and then a structure for the solutions, yeah. which I think was was a little hazy from what I listened to. Jess is, uh, I'm 100% with Jess on this. What's the point of the piece? What's the point of the piece? If I haven't managed to say that, what have I said? So we worked our way through the whole show, reordering big chunks, adding signposting, where we tell you, hey guys, this is the really important part, and cutting, 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 all in service to the idea we wanted to convey. There is this dark place in the middle of writing. It's really scary, but it's normal. Everyone goes there, and you will get out. Here's how to do it. In the end, we cut about six minutes and rewrote and rearranged about a third of the show. It's a very good thing we then had a two-week holiday break because it was exhausting, emotionally and physically. And the episode shines. It's the best piece of audio we've made. I've been using examples from audio edits, but comics critiques or prose edits work the same way. If you're bored reading a comic or confused reading a novel or zone out in an essay, that's all legit feedback that the author needs in order to make it better. But how often do we really get this essential feedback? And then, how often do we listen? How can we do more critiques and do them better? Most writers will have someone read a story they're working on to get some feedback, but how many will read it out loud? Part of the secret to why narrative radio and podcasting is so strong is that it's audio, and therefore producers necessarily have to read or say their stories out loud at some point. This puts them at an advantage over other narrative forms because it's that saying out loud part, which sounds so basic, almost dumb. That's a big part of the magic. But why? At the conceptual stage, you can hear if your idea rings false in your ears. At the writing stage, you can hear if your dialogue sounds like something a person would actually say. You can feel when you trip over your sentence structures, possibly because they don't actually make sense. You can see what happens on your listener's face. That awkward pause when no one knows what to say, that gets your brain revving, looking for what's missing. And that's not even counting what the other person might have to suggest. Okay, so you're convinced. You're convinced, right? You're going to sit down and read your story to someone, or ideally a group of someone's? But then, what? How do you actually do it? Or more to the point, how do they do it? The number one tip I learned from all these super experienced editors is that you don't have to be a super experienced editor to have good feedback. Here's Robert Smith and Jess Jang. Editing is super hard to talk about because you're essentially talking about your internal feelings. I don't know how Jess feels. I only know how I feel. And I have to pay attention to the moments where I'm confused and the moments where I'm bored. And so weirdly, editing becomes this almost like biofeedback kind of thing where you're where you're literally trying to say to yourself, how do I feel listening to this? I'm listening to it, but how do I feel? Do I feel anxious? Do I feel impatient? Yeah, it took me years to figure this out because for the longest time I would have a feeling but not quite know how to articulate it and not and not be able to find the source of it. And so I feel like now I finally got into the place where I'm like, oh, I'm bored. Like, that's why I'm not <laughs> liking this part. Or like, oh, like, I am so wrapped up in this that, like, this is joy. Like, this is the feeling of feeling delighted. 
by this. And the, the key for me was to link that to the script. Robert and Jess use a technique that Alex Bloomberg brought over from This American Life called hand logging. It's almost like an edit EKG. It's a way to monitor that biofeedback you're producing as it happens. They write down just a single word or two for each idea that comes up. And as they go, they write little symbols next to the spots where they had some feeling about what they think should happen. Everyone does it slightly differently. Tape cuts get indented. Arrows down means speed it up. A big circle means boring. A question mark means you're confused or whatever. You can make up your own symbols. It's a way to create a picture of the whole piece on just a sheet or two of paper, a way to remember what you felt like as you listened. I used to edit 15 years ago. And when I would get bored or start to think about other things, I would blame myself. I'm just like, oh, I'm a bad listener. I'm a bad editor. Stop thinking about dinner. Uh, stop thinking about all the other things in your life. Focus, 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 focus on the story. And it was it was it wasn't until much later when I realized, no, that's not my job. Like it's the job of the host. It's the job of the reporter to keep me interested. So if my mind's drifting, that's not a failing on my part as a listener. That's a failing on your part as a storyteller. And that's something that needs to be fixed in the edit. So pay attention to your attention as a listener and take some notes. This biofeedback idea rang a bell for me. As I was working on the book out on the wire, both Jad Abumrad and Soren Wheeler of Radiolab talked extensively about how they've trained themselves to feel the story in their bodies. If you're going to understand what's happening in the story, you have to pay attention to your body. Like, so I'll spend a lot of time, and I've trained myself to kind of like not really be super self-conscious about it, but if I happen to shift, I'll notice that. I'll just time stamp mark. I won't talk. I won't think about what was wrong or right. Like, you have no idea when you're in that mode. You don't have a clue. All you know is works or don't works, you know? And so, but you have to mark those spots so you can go back later and think, okay, why? But that why is later. Later, you can work on having really sharp suggestions for how to fix things. But to start, just listen and feel. You don't need the answers. Trust how you feel. For example, Robert had some very specific feelings about how our episode ended. As with the beginning, he had that ending feeling multiple times, way before we got to the challenge even. So I'm listening at home this morning, and the point came to where I thought it should end, and I just stopped it and went to brush my teeth. And then I, I was like, oh, it's over. And then I came back and I listened to the rest of it. So and you're like, oh, there's another seven minutes here. There's, there's, there's more stuff happening here. He brushed his teeth. Any narrative artist who does not listen to that edit is a fool and deserves whatever they get. So if critiques and edits are so damn great, why doesn't everyone do them? I mean, yes, they're a lot of work. And then you've got so much more work to do on your story afterward to incorporate what you learned. But that's not it. The real reason people don't do it is that they're scared. We love our stories like our sweet little babies, even when we're most down on them maybe more than ever in those moments. It's really hard to listen to criticism and sometimes even harder to incorporate it. Even Ira Glass takes it hard. He just knows better than to let it show. Me, I get really mad. I get so mad. Like, I feel so like, no, you, no, this is good. I'm sure it's good. When you're getting edited, you get mad about it? I totally get mad. I'm a fucking baby. I mean, and you know, like, you know, I mean, I'm no better. You know, I mean, I try to keep it to myself, but, but I'm a baby. And, um, and then there's a part of me as the person who made the show, just like, 
do you know who I am? You know, they're like, I totally have a part of me, which is just like, I know what I'm doing. Like, I, I'm really good at this. Like, and I hired all of you, and you work for me. There's to- That's right underneath the surface. And, like, I totally... And, and I also know that I'm completely in the wrong. You know what I mean? Like, like there's just no question. I'm 100% in the wrong. And they're right, and I'm wrong. And you just... It's sort of like, you know, encountering your own failure. And believe me when I tell you I know what this feels like. I recorded this audio diary in the midst of reworking the Dark Forest episode. You know, and to tell Ben that we had to keep working, that it wasn't done on Friday. And Ben says to me, and he didn't look good. Ben did not look good. He says, I feel really beat down. And I think that's, I mean, that's, that's the Dark Forest, you know, feeling like you don't know what you're doing. The edit can put you right back there. Like it, it pulls the rug out from under you a little bit. It's destabilizing. And um, there's moments when that feels kind of good, like, oh, yeah, like that's going to lead me to a new idea that's going to really work. And then there's moments when it's like, no, wait, I, I thought I knew, I thought I knew what I had here. And, I, and then you realize you don't, you don't actually know. And that's, that's when it gets really difficult. So it's hard. I rewrote the Dark Forest episode at least four times. Ben and I went through three full versions, tracked four times. Ben remixed the show twice. We got it out that Monday by working all weekend. But it is better than any other episode by miles. And all I really regret is that we didn't have that kind of edit every single time. In some ways, the structure of the show is itself the ultimate proof of how strongly I believe in the idea of incorporating feedback and collaboration into our process. I built the whole concept of the show with Ben around the challenges I give to listeners, and we built our online community, the working group, to create a place where anyone who chooses to can get the kind of feedback they need to help move their stories forward. Even if you've never visited the working group, you know how important that is. You've heard the kind of work we're doing there via the workshop episodes. I did that to demonstrate that writing locked away in a cave is not the best, fastest, happiest way to work. That as difficult as giving and getting feedback can be, it accelerates your creative process enormously and doesn't hang you out to dry when you're stuck. Focus sessions, critiques, edits are shortcuts to excellence. Back in your room, you begin to realize how much you are going to enjoy your baby. It is the beginning of a new era. Now for a well-earned rest. Don't forget to get cigars and candy for the office. Back near the beginning of my research for Out on the Wire, I visited the Transom Story Workshop, where I sat in on a long class session where four students discussed their stories. I talked about that visit way back in episode two. Rob Rosenthal is the teacher. He has an unusual, powerful teaching style. He pokes at something and then just lets it ride until things click into place for the students and they discover for themselves what he was hinting at. And especially she's young. I always find that interesting too. Is like the young As these new producers thought through their narrative problems and came up with the answers on their own, I could see the process clicking for them. They were becoming the effective, supportive colleagues everyone wants, right in front of my eyes. 
One of the most difficult skills to learn as a creative person is not how to receive useful criticism, but how to give it. I wanted to spend a bit more time talking to Rob about how he instills this skill in his students. I'm Rob Rosenthal. I teach radio. I've been teaching radio for quite a while. I'm the host of How Sound 2, which is a podcast about audio storytelling. My sense is that most people already know the answers to their own questions. They just need the time and space to figure it out themselves or have some support from peers. Like, I think one of the most important things I can do in the class is, is to set it up in such a way that we're a production team. And it's our job in the course of eight weeks to produce 18 stories with people who pretty much have never produced radio stories before. It's kind of a ridiculous task, but that's how I think of it. It's like we're a team and everyone in the class is an editor. And I think it's my task as a teacher to just step back or lean back in my chair a little bit and let the conversation happen so that you know people get a chance to play both roles, producer and editor. And then, you know, I'll step in at some point. I mean, every now and then I'll jump in if I like a flare needs to be sent up and and there's some ethical concern or I just really think they're off on Thunder Island somewhere and it's just like they're never going to swim back. But mostly, you know, mostly it's like let the class teach itself and I'll be there to, you know, spot people. You did come in the day that I was there. You highlighted a few things for people that they weren't quite homing in on. You talked about focus sentence and you you helped um, Jessica Kittums come up with her focus sentence. But I, I have to say that's the thing that I struggle with the most is you know, it's like parenting. Like when do you let your child do the thing that they need to do in order for them to learn on their own? Or when do you helicopter in, you know, and take care of it for them? I struggle with that with my kids. And and this is not to say that the students in my class are my kids, but I think there's a there's a um you know, there's a comparison to be made there. And so my inclination is to step back and stay back. And maybe it's a little longer than I need to. I'd rather err on the side of silence than, you know, than talk too much and suck the oxygen out of the room. So if I'm holding their hand all the time, I don't think I'm helping them develop the muscle that they're going to need later on when, when they get out in the world where it's actually harder. A lot of times I will talk about these things turning points, structure, focus sentences, scenes. Sometimes I'll talk about them in the moment when the student seems to need it. But the class itself has an arc, you know, and they're all sort of traveling at the same speed. And so there is like, there is a developmental, there are developmental stages, I think. So anyway, when we reach particular points for students, um, that's when I'll teach that stuff. I definitely start talking about focus sentences and having an overarching question that your story is trying to answer. I talk about that right from the get-go. Having those things in place in pencil beforehand at the very start of your reporting is really valuable because if you don't have them, there's a risk. And the risk is that a student will think everything is important and record and talk about everything with the person in their story. And guess what? Everything is not important. Um, It's a disappointing thing to learn, but not everything someone says is valuable, at least to the story. Another thing I front-end load is I will talk about scenes, and we will actually plot out how we think a story might be told, um, 
how, what the opening might be, maybe what's the ending, uh, what's the stuff in the middle. Your course is like the first step on this journey for these students and future professionals. So what I'm trying to get at is like, how do you step into that role? What, is the, what are the steps required to become that person who can later be, you know, a Robert Smith? Here's what happens for each student. We'll talk about what they think their story is. The student will talk about it. And then it's our job to poke some holes in that. And we'll do that as a group and to sort of brainstorm what we think maybe the story's about. And then we popcorn questions, meaning that everybody in the room starts firing questions that we want to ask of this person they're going to profile. And the student sort of sits quietly and types as fast as they freaking can to capture all of these questions. Um, and then we brainstorm scenes and we're doing that as a group. And I feel like in that moment, even though the student who's producing the story is sort of passively taking, well, they're not passively, but they're just taking in this information, the heavy lifting might be happening on the other side. That heavy lifting, all the brainstorming that's happening, that's insanely valuable. It gets the, like what I hope happens is that when they start popping these questions out and thinking about scenes for someone else, that later they're going to go, oh, you know what? That idea that I suggested for this other person in class, duh, I could actually do that in my story. Like, I feel like that helps them to develop the muscle that they're going to need to brainstorm scenes and questions for their own stories in class, as well as when they leave. So then the students go out in the field and they report, and then they come back and they tell us what happened. And what happens then is that we have a conversation about what we think the focus of the story is. And it's up to the student who's producing the story to figure that out mostly, but the other students get to, you know, get to pitch in and help out. It's almost like, you know, it is like they're their editor. They're like immediately they become another student's editor. And so they begin to think, well, you know what, that thing you said about the blah, 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 I actually think that could be the focus of your story because ding, 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 right? They're thinking like an editor uh, in that moment. And that that muscle, I keep using that word, but that muscle, that's that's so invaluable to be able to um, articulate and think about and deconstruct and reconstruct a story as an editor might. Like that's, that's insanely valuable. So the whole way through, they're producer and editor. And then when you edit each other's stories, here are some things I want you to be looking for. Does it make sense? Are you lost? Do you know who's talking? Where are you? Are you feeling anything when you read this script? You know, did the student who wrote it, did they get the factual truth? Uh, but they, did they also get the emotional truth out of the story? Um, do you hear the story in your head? Once you've got this material and you need to figure out how to put it together and you need to get feedback on those things, people in my group certainly often have a hard time finding the right people who will have useful feedback for them, who can actually move the story forward, who can understand enough elements of storytelling to function as an editor. So if you're not, if you're not working with an editor at a show or at a station, you got to figure out how to get an editor on your work outside of that. And the two ways that come to mind is have friends. <laughs> Um, you know, someone who maybe isn't a radio producer might be valuable because they're going to listen with listeners' ears. 
um, and give you feedback that's you know realistic from a listener's perspective. The downside to that is they don't necessarily know what to listen for and how to offer suggestions from a radio producer's perspective. So, so having a listener listen to it, that's, that's cool. Um, but I'm not sure that's the be-all to end-all. Um, in many places around the States, there are listening groups, just groups of people who get together and once a month um, – they will sit down and listen to work. Sometimes they'll pitch ideas to the group. Not that they're producing for the group, but they'll run the idea by the group. Other times they'll bring in tape uh, and play, you know, uh, some story that's in its early stages. People bring food and beer and it's a, it's a cool gathering. Oh, that's great. That's really helpful. Anything else you wanted to say about uh, raising young producers? I want everyone in the world to grab a microphone, put on their headphones, turn on the recorder and face the mic forward and just start walking towards the thing that you're interested in. Whatever piques your interest, stick a mic at it and make a story. That's what I got. That's awesome. I'm sticking the mic at myself. Does that mean I'm totally self-involved? Yeah, I'm doing the same thing on this end. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. It was really great to talk to you. Yeah, you too. I'll see you. Bye-bye. Bye. Now for this week's challenge. Remember, we post new full episodes every two weeks. At the end of each episode, there's a challenge designed to get you working on a narrative project of your own. And if you find yourself in need of timely feedback, you can find it in the Out on the Wire working group. You can join the working group by going to my website at jessicaable.com slash podcast and signing up to receive my newsletter. That's jessicaable.com slash podcast. Okay, here's the challenge. Get an edit. This is different from the challenge for episode seven, where I suggested you do a focus session, which is editorial collaboration that happens during the conceptual or writing phase of a project. An edit is a critique, and it happens on an at least semi-complete draft of a piece. This is when most people think of showing their work to someone, and often chicken out. But it's not that common that you'll think to read your work aloud to someone. Unless you're critiquing comics, where images are key, I'd say this is the moment to pull out those junior high drama club chops and really perform your work, even if it's for an audience of one. Your collaborators don't need to be editorial experts to have useful feedback. They just need to be able to get in touch with how they feel at any given moment in your story. Have them take notes as best they can, and when you go back over the work after reading it, try to listen to what they have to say with an open heart, as hard as it can be to hear. I'll have more specific instructions and a downloadable worksheet about how to manage a critique on my site at jessicaable.com slash edit. I'll have show notes on this episode, including a downloadable worksheet on how to get the most out of an edit. And for all you edit geeks out there, we'll post an audio file of the complete episode seven Dark Forest archive. The original episode, then Robert Smith and Jess Jang's edit, then the final episode. You can find all that on my site at jessicaable.com slash podcast. You can also get show notes emailed to you if you're on the newsletter. Sign up for the newsletter at the same place, jessicaable.com slash podcast. If you love Out on the Wire and want to support the show, check out the Out on the Wire bonus pack. In it, you get full music downloads from the show and complete versions of our new interviews, including Stephanie Fu, Jonathan Mitchell, Kazu Kibuishi, Robert Smith, and more. It's a great way to spend some time with our awesome guests and support the show at the same time. It's only $10, or more if you're feeling generous, for over eight hours of bonus content. 
Find out more at jessicaable.com slash podcast. You can find me on Twitter at jccable. Benjamin is at Benjamin Frisch. We're also on Facebook, Tumblr, and Pinterest, and those links are on our webpage. Out on the Wire is produced by Benjamin Frisch with music contributed by Matt Madden, made with the support of La Maison des Auteurs Angoulême. A hat tip to transom.org, where I first published some of these thoughts about the edit process. Also, be sure to check out Rob Rosenthal's podcast, How Sound. If you're a fan of this show, you'll love How Sound. See you in a week with Benjamin Frisch and Matt Madden for a discussion of work from the Out on the Wire working group on our workshop episode. And then in two weeks, we'll be back with our final episode of this season, Work It.